0: Hello, my name is Stuart Leakes, and I'm talking to Tim Albury, who is the director of Opera North's new production of Verdi's Otello. Hello, Tim. Hello, Stuart. So, Otello uh, is one of Verdi's last two operas, uh, along with Falstaff, um, and these are quite late pieces. I mean, he was in his seventies, I think, when he finished both of these, um, and really. When he'd finished Aida, several years before these, I think he had, to all intents and purposes, decided that's it, that's enough. I'm kind of going to retire to my farm now. But the lure of Shakespeare was was very great, wasn't it for him? I mean, he was obsessed. I think by Shakespeare, you could quite reasonably say.
1: Yes, a- a- absolutely. Having having worked with the Schiller, with Schiller on things like Don Carlos, which in many ways is easier material because Schiller writes in a more schematic way, the arguments between opposing forces are very clearly stated, but to to tackle an opera where of necessity you're having to condense material to tackle something as complex as the Shakespeare tends to be Mm. is obviously a lot harder, which is why there aren't that many successful operas using Shakespeare as the source material.
0: no, I think it's the case that that at one point Verdi, Verdi and Botto were actually thinking about calling the opera Iago rather than um, Otello, And he's a, he's a fascinating character in the play, but there are subtle differences, aren't there, in the characterisation of him uh, between play and opera? I and
1: mean, again, there's one very clear difference, which is that in the first act you just see Iago at work, manipulating people, getting Cassio drunk. Pushing Rodrigo, this other character who wants to get Desdemona, and he's Yago's thinking, "I'm going to use him in some way. I'm not sure which way yet." But you see a man basically manipulating, cheating, and lying, and you don't really know what he's getting out of it, apart from that he's bitter and twisted about the fact that has promoted Cassio ahead of him. Apart from that, you don't learn much. Um, you just see him doing what he does in the second act, right at the beginning. He has this moment alone with the audience in which he basically tells you this is my worldview and my worldview is that nothing matters, that there is no God, that all these human emotions, love and affection and respect and loyalty and all those things are a performance and that everybody's lying, everybody's putting on a show and deep down we die, it's very Beckettian, you know, we're born and we die. And there is, and the last word of it is, there is nulla. There is nothing. Um, So it's an incredibly bleak, nihilistic, deadened view of what life is. And I would go on to say that what we discover, which I think is the most interesting thing, really, it's never said clearly, but what terrifies Otello, what terrifies Iago is that it's not true, is that for people like Atello and Desdemona, emotions are real and love is real and it isn't just a performance and that's, I think, why it has to be destroyed. And I think it's so. it's a bigger, more existential reason that makes him kill them rather than just, oh, I'm jealous because he promoted somebody else. It's because they
0: feel something
1: and I don't.
0: Now, uh, the role of Otello is, is considered generally to be one of the biggest challenges in the repertoire. And in fact, quite a lot of notable tenors over the years have, have avoided it or, you know, sort of not had a great success in the role. Um, but I wonder what you feel that, you know, considering that it is a sort of fairly iconic role in the repertoire, what are Otello, uh, Ronald, Sam will bring to the role?
1: Well, he brings one interesting thing because, as we know, in the theatre, if you went to see the play Othello nowadays and there was a white person playing a black person, you would probably be pretty upset. You'd expect this not to happen. Lenny Henry played it recently, as we know, with some success. And, but in the opera world, strangely, in the world of international opera, it's still quite normal to have a white person playing... Othello. I mean, it happens all the time. So unusually, we have a black person playing Othello, and um, and it's it, it's interesting because Ronnie's very dark, and and Desdemona is very fair. And, of course, this metaphor of, of his dark skin and her white skin, when he says, give me your beautiful little white hand, and it's so white and pure, how could there be a little devil in here, this devil that's eating into you and I know is making you this this woman who's cheating on me, as he thinks. So her, you know, white as innocence and black as dark and dangerous and devilish, it, it's played off all the time in it. Of course, written in a time when we weren't sort of racially sensitive in that way. But actually having these two correct, as it were, skin colours in in the space is really interesting because, of course, we know that Othello is the innocent, but when he's angry, he becomes this dark force, this very violent force, and she is, we know, innocent, and, and, and she is kind of white, pure, and virginal, as the Act two cor- chorus sing about her as the Virgin Mary, but he's led to believe that under this whiteness there is this whore. So, so this, this kind of black-white dichotomy, it turns out, is really very, very important, and when you see it actually happening properly, it starts to work. Because the, there's less of the kind of racism in terms of the text. It's really only Yago who goes, "Oh, that black bastard!" Effectively in his text, but nobody else really mentions it. So you, you at one point you start to think, "Oh, well, it's not relevant. It doesn't really matter." But then, when the when the intimacy between the two main characters of Teodora Desdemona happens, then you start to think, "No, this is it's really important mm. because it symbolizes." the apparent differences between them or, or the moral status of the two of them, which, of course, is always the inverse of what you think you're seeing. Oh, and sorry, I would like to go on to say that, that what else does Ronnie bring to this? He brings a kind of open heart, which I think a lot of men find it hard to cry and you believe them or they'll go, you know, Othello is a great powerful soldier and he shouldn't give away too much of himself. And the thing with Ronnie is that he's incredibly powerful and so you believe the idea that men might follow him and that he would go out and slash his way through a battle, but at the same time, you see this incredibly vulnerable, rather pathetic creature that's lurking around underneath it that can be prey to all of Iago's machinations.
0: So what approach of you and Leslie Travers' who's designing both the set and costumes for the production uh, taken to um, establishing the world uh, for, for the piece?
1: I suppose we've done two things most evidently. One is to pick a a time for clothes and for the feeling of the space um, on, on the principle that we are not doing say Elizabethan clothes as you might do in a traditional production of either the play or the opera but we've chosen a time where male clothes are very male and they can be uniform and they can be military in this case naval and where women can wear clothes that tell us about their status and and their character, and, and after much discussion, we've chosen a time that's clearly a sort of post Second World War, I would say, early post Second World War, where where women are, are still expected to not get divorced and to behave, and to and, to, and, to, and to, so for example, Emilia, who knows she's married to this unscrupulous, evil, vicious man who abuses her in private, called Iago, but She can't even tell Desdemona and potentially save Desdemona's life by saying that Iago forced her to give her the handkerchief which will lead to Desdemona's downfall because she can't disobey the rules of marriage no matter how unhappy she is. So that's the period we chose. The space is... um, like a very lived-in naval barracks, a mess hall, uh, a place in which men prepare for war and live together in large groups, uh, and in which therefore women are either servants, which is the female chorus who who we play as if they're women from the local village in this southern European community, and the barracks is one that's been taken over by these men who come from somewhere further north, And the women are cooking and cleaning and so on, but actually, and they live a very different, more Catholic, conservative life in the local village. And where the men uh, are at home, and this is their world, and we have these two outsiders, there's Demona and her friend Emilia, who arrive, more sophisticated, aristocratic women, and find themselves in this world where men have a particular set of rules and ways of behaving, and they are completely outside and alone in it. And at the end, of course, we end up with, with Desdemona in a bedroom, which is like an improvisation because they're not meant to have married couples turning up here, where we have a bed that looks like it's been borrowed from a local house in, in what effectively feels like a kind of metallic prison cell by the end. So, so it's a, everything comes out of this one room and, and multiple other kinds of room exist within it, but all the time you feel that Desdemona is caught in this male military world
0: and i wonder if you could just choose one or two moments uh, from the piece that you know are particular favorites for you or key you think to, to to what it's all about
1: well in terms of watching a great composer and librettist at work there there is an amazing duet or a, a scene between two people is a better way of putting it, when in Act Three, there's Daimena who's already terrified of what's gone wrong with the relationship and doesn't know why Othello is, is cross with her, comes to find him and to try to make it right without knowing what it is that's wrong. And, and, and they she thinks he's forgiven her, but he's just been told yet again by Yago that she's cheating on him and he so he falls in and out of love with her within the scene. So he gets angry and nearly hits her, but then regrets it and then wants to kiss her and then but then she does something, talks about Cassio, he's angry again. It goes through incredible amounts of twists and turns and the music it's always taking you to the next place, and there's some heartbreakingly kind of romantic moments, and then an incredible rage, and you just think to be able to write that in this economical way. It's a scene only lasts probably six minutes, and in the course of it, you've been everywhere, and you just think that is you. You have to be a master to write that. It would have taken Wagner like three quarters of an hour, you know, but he does it in six minutes or so, and it and it's it's extraordinary. And then I suppose the bedroom scene you have to accept is is the most beautiful beautiful music you will hear um and again just the relationship between amelia and her is so subtly written we've hardly seen them together alone but you know within seconds how it works and um and it has beautiful beautiful music the willow song the famous willow song which is which is just heartbreaking in its simplicity Um, so yeah
0: he's he's pretty damn brilliant Thank you very much, Tim. It's a
1: pleasure. Thank you.